There's a popular business model called private label selling. If you search for like hot sauce on Amazon, the number one hot sauce is not Tabasco. It's some rando that just found some good keywords and it created a product for it. Hey, what's happening, everybody? Larry Roberts back with another awesome episode of the Readily Random Podcast. Today, we've got somebody that really kind of resonates with me because he's all about the graphics, man. He's all about presentation and he's all about looking the look and looking the part and living the look. So I, I love that, man. Let me tell you a little bit more about Ian Bauer. He's the founder of Graphic Rhythm, pivoting from his role as a trained chef, which I kind of dig that too. I'm a huge fan of the Food Network. I mean, just look at me. You can tell. Uh, <laughs> to create a successful and innovative graphic design firm. You know what? It's not easy going from a chef to a graphic designer, but Ian happily took on the challenge. He's developed a passion for helping small businesses build customer confidence and loyalty through strong visual content. And guess what? He's here to share some of that valuable information that he's learned along the way. So Ian, welcome to the Readily Random Podcast. Hi, thanks. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited. So Matt, you're, you're a trained chef? Yeah. Yeah. So I was a chef. Like that was my career, like coming out of high school. Um, that's what I wanted to do. That's what I wanted to be. So I was a chef pretty much my whole life. Uh, I, I actually was able to quit my job in 2017 and, uh, you know, be a full-time business owner. So, uh, but yeah, that's how I got started. That's cool, man. And, you know, making that transition for some, it might kind of seem difficult, but a lot of being a chef is in presentation as well, right? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that people um, think is that I'm actually a graphic designer, but I'm not. Um, my talent is actually apparently, and I discovered this, you know, just kind of the way you do is being able to work with graphic designers and, uh, I'm a really good communicator. And so what I found out, and when I look back, it's interesting when I look back at my career as a chef, that was actually one of the talents too, you know, where if I was, um, like my last post, I was the executive chef of a university and I was able to work with the decision makers at the university to, breathe life into the things that they were looking for, but not just from a technical standpoint, which in that particular case, I had the technical skills, but also just interpreting the things that they were saying and then putting it on the plate. And so that's really the skill and the strength that I brought when I started Graphic Rhythm is I was able to meet with clients, talk to clients, understand what they were looking for, and then talk to graphic designers who are technically very good, but don't always um, understand what a client wants. And then together we were able to put it on the plate, so to speak, uh, the way the client was looking. So now it's always good to have that individual that can actually define the requirements of a particular task. And it sounds like that's the role that you fill today. Am I understanding that right? Yeah, it's, it's equal parts like, um, you know, being able to like talk to the designer and give them good direction without overmanaging them. And also reading in between the lines for a client, you know, a lot, a lot of our clients, um, they know what they want, but they don't know what like combinations of words to put together that will have a graphic designer produce what they want, you know? And so they do things like frequently over directing is one of those, or they'll, uh, one of the things that I catch clients in frequently and I'll point it out to them is they'll say things and then I'll ask them to demonstrate what they mean. And the things that they demonstrate are completely different, you know, and, and, but, and that's people though, you know what I mean? Like it's just a subjective nature of graphic design, you know, like if I spit out some single word attributes, 
Um, and then me and you both go out on the internet together to try and find images that define those words, we'll probably come up with some slightly different stuff. There's probably going to be overlap, but there's going to be some different stuff. And so, you know, just helping clients get on the same page and really defining it and then, you know, making sure our design team uh, can pull it off. So yeah, that's my role. There's always that, that line that's hard to uh, define sometimes when you have a client and you give them exactly what they asked for, but it's not even remotely what they wanted. And that's a tough role to fill. I used to basically be in that same role. I was a business analyst in my former career, at least at one point during that career, I had that title. And I would do just that. I would go out on the floor and find the requirements of the end user for a particular application. Maybe we needed to write something in-house or maybe we needed to modify an existing application. And then I would take those requirements and translate them into programmer speak. So I would then have to take this requirement and tell the programmer exactly what to do, what to write, not necessarily how to write the code, but what to write in order to fulfill the end requirements of the user. So that go between, it's such a critical role. And, you know, oftentimes a lot can get lost in translation there. What did you find to be one of your biggest assets in that type of role? Is it communication? Is it just understanding both sides of the coin? What What is it that you think there that you brought to the table that, that really helped you stand out? Well, it's a little bit of both of those things for sure. But I, I would say that like the biggest thing that we do differently um, than a lot of graphic designers uh, is that um, we actually changed our whole process uh, now there's a lot of different ways you can engage with with us as a design team, but if if you are engaging with us at a high level, right? So a high service level, uh, particularly any project that I'm personally involved in, then our process for that is going to look a, a lot different. So I'll, I'll give an example here with a logo. Um, if you look at logo services out there in the world, particularly like um, contest sites and things like that, the things that they ask you on the front end are mostly like show us what you like already, you know, like give us examples of what you like already. Um, and the problem with that is it creates a really negative situation for everybody involved. Right. So first of all, the designer, uh, you've just done what I call poisoning the well, poisoning the well of creativity. So you're giving them things that you already like, and then you're asking him to create something different, right? Because you don't want to create a logo that looks like your competitors or anything like that. Right. So it's a, it's a, it's a task that they can't really accomplish, you know? Um, and that's why there tends to be a lot of iterating and revising, you know, with that kind of process. So we actually rethink that whole thing. And we like to talk a lot in terms of goals. Okay. So like, what is your goal? What, you know, what does success look like? And it's where we don't go over in visual land. We don't say, I don't say to the client, like, what are your favorite colors or what kind of fonts do you like, or show us logo types that you're interested in. It's like, all right, tell us about your brand. Tell us about your brand attributes. Um, what do you hope to accomplish? What do you uh, want your customer to feel, right? And then, what? so now we've completely changed the, th the, the whole thing. And now when we go to the designer, he can feel free and creative to create something that meets the goals and he could find his own way to, the, to meet that goal. And so now when we go back to the client with a logo, we say, all right, did this meet the goal? Right. And then we could tweak visual stuff, but it's, it's a much more uh, wholesome, unpolluted process for creating than doing this like 
tell tell us what things you already like kind of approach. So I think that that's one of the big things that makes us successful and makes me successful in this role of, of facilitating those conversations. You know, and it's interesting because those same conversations, we could actually benefit from having with ourselves, especially from an entrepreneurial perspective. You know, many times we start a business, there's already a business out there that's doing something similar, but we have our own unique spin on it. Could we not look internally and ask those same questions and help position ourselves as authorities by standing out with our own personal take on whatever the services that we're providing or the brand that we're trying to establish? Yeah. And, and I would also say, I would also kind of add to that, um, this idea of insulating yourself from outside influence when you're in a creative process, we actually apply it to our business model as well. And an example, um, one of our big uh, kind of like, like uh, customer bases is actually Amazon sellers. And it's because of my affiliation with the Amazon world. It's a whole long story. But the short of it is like I had uh, like entrepreneur friends coming to me and saying, can you do Amazon images? And I was like, yeah, sure. You know, and it never occurred to me. I mean, this is entirely a fluke, right? But it never occurred to me to go out and see what other people were doing, like what other competitors who are offering these prepackaged Amazon e-commerce image services are. I never went and looked at all. And so we kind of just came up with our own homegrown thing where I said it was a conversation with us and our clients. Like, what do you need? What would be success for you? You know, like if you could just tell me what a perfect service would look like, what would that look like? You know, and from our side, we were saying like, okay, what do we need as an internal team to be successful here? Like, what, how are we going to deliver it? You know, and the result is our service package is completely different than anybody out there. And when I, it was only later on after doing hundreds of these things that I like poked my head up and started to look around at like, oh, you know, like this is completely laid out differently than anybody else. And it was like a welcome surprise. And it's one of the things that our clients happen to love is that our process is so different and and, and much more inclusive. It's it's a lot more of like the things that we talk about here where we're, um, you know, being more careful about identifying goals and things like that. So just from a a business plan kind of perspective, that creative thinking is really helpful. Help me understand too, because we, you're mentioning the Amazon images and I'm sitting here this whole time going, what images is he talking about? Are we doing product images? Are we doing the placement images where, you know, we have the, the, the setup where it looks like people are actually using the product in a real life environment. What, what are you doing there with the Amazon images? Just because I'm curious. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> no problem. I'll give you like the, like the really super high level overview. Yeah. Here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so for the uninitiated, right. So uh, Amazon's marketplace is actually 60%, 60% of all sales on Amazon are actually third-party sellers, right? Not a lot of people know that a third-party seller can use that prime badge if they meet certain conditions, right? So if you're, if you're just a regular consumer on Amazon, you probably are operating under the impression that the stuff you're buying is from Amazon. There's a 60% chance it's not. So um, it's also super competitive, right? Um, what we do is we work with brand owners to optimize their e-commerce imagery. So when you click on an Amazon listing, uh, there's what we call a gallery of images, right? And each one of those is an opportunity to sell your product. So we optimize those. And then there are a few other things on Amazon. I won't get into all of them, but there are other areas on Amazon like storefronts and uh, what's called enhanced product descriptions. And so we, we have a whole suite of services for helping you optimize all those areas. So that's what that's all about. Oh, that's cool, man. Cause I'll, I'll tell you, I, I do realize that most of the time I'm not buying from Amazon. And I say I, but I mean my wife. <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> 
this is one of those households where Amazon comes by about, I don't know, three times a day. It's the most insane thing I've ever seen. And I got to tell you, I'm kind of thankful that I learned a way to kind of overcome that a little bit. And <laughs> I've managed to cut back on the Amazon bill thanks to TikTok. Oh, really? <laughs> go, how does that even work, right? Well, here's yeah. the scene. The wife, she goes to bed 9 o'clock on the dot every night. She's just like clockwork. So what she does, she goes to bed, she takes her iPad, and she goes in there and she jumps on Amazon and she plans the next day's deliveries, right? Well, what we started doing instead was 9 o'clock, I'll go in there with the wife, we'll bust out the iPad, we spend about an hour watching TikToks, laughing, hanging out, having a good time, doing a little just, you know, husband and wife hanging out time, which is always a good thing too. But then she's tired after that hour, and guess what? She doesn't shop as much. It's the coolest thing ever, man. So if if anybody's listening right now and your wife is going crazy, or your husband, maybe it's a flip, flip scenario there. Either one of you, if you're going crazy on Amazon, try watching the TikTok for a little bit with them and see if that doesn't cut back. It works here. so <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. My uh, my strategy has been uh, my wife likes to like shop and stash a bunch of stuff in the cart. So like once uh, once a day, I'll just go in and delete all the stuff in her cart and she has to start all over. It's like scattering her Legos all over the place. Like, go go fish. <laughs> I tried that, bro, and I got in a ton of trouble. She's like, yeah, did well, you delete my items from the cart? It was like, oh, yeah. oh, sorry, sorry, my bad. So Yeah, but that's anyway, part of it. No, that's cool. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting, though, if we're going back to what you were talking about before, in that imagery is, is really your specialty. And so many times as business owners, that's where we struggle. We struggle having that image or that perceived uh, professionalism or perceived experience or just the overall perception of our brand kind of falls short from where we want it. Can we take some of these same concepts and apply them there and kind of, you know, maybe kind of look the part? Yeah. So um, it's interesting uh, to segue from Amazon to talking about this because one of the things that we do a lot on the Amazon side is we work with brand new businesses, right? Yeah. Uh, there's, a, there's a popular business model, model called private label selling. Uh, you know, so for instance, like, uh, if you search for like hot sauce on Amazon, the number one hot sauce is not Tabasco and is not Texas Pete. It's some rando that just found some good keywords and it created a product for it. Right. And so, but we work with a lot of, of people who are building brand new businesses. And one of the most important things now, especially consider like the Amazon ecosystem where you, you want to feel confident when you're buying that this isn't some like fly by night, like Chinese seller that it's going to show up in 60 days from now. You really want that confidence. And that, that exact same um, idea of building confidence in your buyer in order to increase the conversion applies to all businesses. If you happen to be, and, and this is something that a trap that we fell for as a graphic design agency, if you're in a B2B business, right, where you work on somebody else's business, oftentimes we neglect our own business. And it's a big mistake. And we did that at Graphic Rhythm. If you had checked out our website two years ago, it looked crazy. It was like literally just me and my, my designers were already tapped out, like working on client projects. So I'm like, you know, trying to do my own thing. And it really hurt. And we, um, we saw a much bigger improvement in our conversions and in our client conversations when we started to actually look the part, you know, so creating a strong visual identity, creating a consistent visual identity. Um, and then, you know, putting that everywhere so that you can build this visual authority and you look like a bigger company than you are. And anybody could do this. So uh, that's kind of one of the cool parts about it. Can you do it on a budget? 
I mean, or do we really need to have a significant investment up front? Because I mean, I've, I've priced websites and the cat daddy builders out there, they got cat daddy prices to go right along with them. How can we do some things to help us appear uh, the part per se without it breaking the bank? Yeah. So that's tougher. Honestly, it is. And, um, you know, there's a lot of value in having a professional graphic designer do your designs. That said, I certainly do understand, uh, you know, that the budget may not be there. So my recommendation is if you don't really have the budget for complicated graphic uh, or or expensive graphic design, um, I would recommend keeping everything simple. Keep to simple color palettes, simple font pairings, um, instead of using um, graphic designs, like don't try and pick like an illustrative style or something like that. That's going to be complicated where you're going to have to like try and source stock assets that match your illustrative style. Instead, use stock photos um, because it's easier to find stock photos that meet your brand attributes which is another good point, um, get clear about your brand attributes. And so when we say brand attributes, we're saying things like culture, your voice, so how you sound, and uh, really the feeling that you want a viewer of your brand identity to feel when they interact with you. So write down some single word adjectives that that fit into those categories, exciting, uh, carefree, uh, stress-free, things like that, and then find colors, imagery, and typography that match. And that can get you pretty far. Um, it, it gives you the ability to be consistent, if not the most professional looking, at least consistent across uh, all of your spaces. And then uh, when the budget is there, then have a professional designer really uh, put together you know, something more powerful for you. It's interesting. And I, I know a lot of podcasters especially struggle with this when designing cover art and trying to convey the message in their cover art of what their podcast is about. And it's, it's the same thing with businesses. We're trying to convey a message of what we do as whatever our business may be. Do you find that imagery that features people when we're in a service-based industry, do you find that that tends to resonate more so than maybe other graphic type approaches? Um, I'm not necessarily sure if that's true. I think that if the, if the person is you, that has a very specific and powerful function, you know, like, um, you know, building that affiliation between your brand and your actual physical appearance. I think that that's really helpful, but even, there are, even plen- if you're a nobody, even if you're like a, I don't know, a Larry Roberts and uh, you're trying to get out there and do a little branding. Do you think it's a, a good idea to put Larry Roberts out front? Maybe I'm using this as an opportunity to get some consulting. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I actually do. I think that, that that's a good a good thing to do is because you're building you're building a brand around you, really, and you're the you're the talking head, you're the spokesperson for your brand. Yeah, um, and that's great. Uh, definitely do it, even if even if nobody's ever heard of you before. The way that people hear about you is by doing that. Like that's the first step. But then there are also companies that have built an amazing presence without that. Uh, and one of my, one of my favorite companies comes to mind, which is Todoist. They are, um, a taskless manager, uh, application and they have the most beautiful illustrations for all of their stuff. And when you look at their website, when you look at their blog, it's all these like really gorgeous, uh, hand illustrated, uh, graphics. And that's part of their brand identity. Um, Slack also does that. Uh, they have some really, uh, cool illustrations. So that could be the key is consistency. 
you know, if you're not going to be, um, you know, a figurehead in your brand, or you're not going to have a talking head, then maybe go in that direction. And there's an actual, another direction, which I really enjoy, which is uh, creating a mascot, a company mascot. And that mascot can stand in for your uh, talking head. So um, uh, uh, there's a marketing agency out there called Digital Mules. They do that really successfully. They have a, a, a mule mascot that just does all the heavy lifting for them. So it's cool. That is cool. It's interesting. There's a business coach friend of mine. He insists that there should be humans on websites, regardless of the brand, because people buy from humans and humans elicit emotion and emotion is obviously a trigger mechanism for, for purchases. What would be some of the struggles there to elicit those types of emotions with graphics though? That seems, uh, that seems tough. I mean, I can see a cute mule, honestly. I can, you know, I, I love Sticker Mule. Granted, they're not a sponsor of the show. Hint, hint, guys. Uh, but I love Sticker <laughs> Mule, and they have a mule that they use as well for their mascot. Cute as can be. Uh, but if you're doing something a little more serious, a little more with a little less humor involved, can you still get away with graphics and not have people? I, I think it really depends on the business. You know, I, I don't. I think to say that without humans, there's no emotion is too broad of a statement. Certainly, I think that the entire art world would object to that instantly. <laughs> um, Maybe. I, I, but seriously, you know, if you think about, um, you know, illustrative styles that show emotion, it's like people, you know, people in the illustrations, I think that there's a lot of emotion. Now, is that the most appropriate thing for a law firm? Probably not. You know, and that's, that's back to that visual identity. You know, you have to understand what your visual identity is. Um, if you are a more bubbly, carefree kind of brand, then, you know, you could probably pull it off more easily. And that's not to necessarily discount having the stock photos of people, by all means, just make sure that your stock photos of people are on the same page, right? Don't go randomly picking stock photography have have a good idea of what your stock images are supposed to look like like what kind of people are featured what should they be wearing what should they be doing you know that's um that's part of that creating that consistency you know so I, it's completely applicable i'm just saying you, you don't necessarily have to limit yourself to making sure that there's always stock photos of people you know gotcha what would you say in your experience is one of the biggest or most commonly found issues with branding and graphic representation for people? Um, inconsistency, probably really key, um, or um, being out of date with your, with the way that your brand looks is a big one. Oftentimes uh, the brand owners that we work with have tried to design their own brand. Right. And that's fine. Like I get that. That's exactly what I did with graphic rhythm. Uh, which is really funny. It's like the funniest story that we're a design agency and we had such a terrible visual identity when we started. And it was because <laughs> it was because I did it. I, you know, I, I had one designer and she happened to be terrible at logos. Like, and that's another <laughs> thing people don't realize about designers is that they are really specialized in, you know, like they're superheroes in, in some specific things, you know, and, and they go all in on learning those skills, just like being a chef, you know, like you can have a, a chef that's great at a, a set of skills, but terrible at some others. And so my designer happened to be extremely uh, a great illustrator, great at e-commerce imagery and print design and all that stuff. But she was weak when it came to logos. So I was like, all right, I guess I'll design my logo. And uh, when we brought on our first like real creative director, it was funny. He kind of like took me aside. He's like, uh, our logo looks like it was made in 1992 
could I just uh, go ahead and take a stab at that? And so he did, you know, and I appreciate him doing that. And that's our, that's our visual identity. If you checked out our website, you, you would see it's like completely redesigned. He's responsible for that. And so I see a lot of um, new business owners or even established ones that are sticking with an outdated design that maybe they designed themselves. And then you don't know what to do with it. That's the other thing is like, okay, I took this thing. I got a logo. I got some colors. I got typography. What does a social media post look like for me? Um, and then you start to see like random inconsistent stuff going on. So I would say those are probably the biggest hurdles we see. How important is typography and even color temperature? Uh, you know, there's different, there's a chart that's out there. You can, you can search it on Google right now. If you want to go out and search for uh, branding colors and the emotions that each color elicits. And you'll see all the different brands that are out there, big, high level, corporate, massive global brands. And they all tend to fall into a, a particular color band. How critical is that to you with when you combine the typography and colors when you're designing a brand? Yeah. So with it, when it comes to typography, it's actually much easier than most people think. Um, so uh, what we focus on is primarily choosing font selections that are easy for our client to utilize. And so what I mean by that is if you have a WordPress website and then, you, and you have to figure out how to install buy and install a font into Elementor, that's going to be a pain in the butt and it's going to keep you from being consistent with your brand. And so we actually try to tend to focus on Google fonts uh, a lot of times because they're everywhere. And so we pick just some beautiful, easy to read font pairings that are timeless and work great and are easily available. Now the typeface for the, for the logo itself can be whatever we, we decide is appropriate for the brand because that's not, that's not a font. That's a true typeface. So that's actually the style shape of the letters it's delivered as a single, as an image, you know, you don't have to worry about it. Right. Now, when it comes to colors, um, you know, there are people that could wax on about colors all day long. You know, really, we don't want to make a big deal out of it. We want to make sure it's appropriate for the brand attributes that we've chosen. We want to make sure it's appropriate and either expected for the industry or disruptive for the in industry. Either one is fine, but it has to be intentional. And that's an, a key part of it. You know, you, ha you have to be intentional about it. So we're I'll give you an example. We're working on a brand that is uh, creating eco-friendly products, and they have this big mission to create change in the world through their products and their messaging, and so on and so forth. And we got the impression from the client almost immediately that he really wanted to stay in the expected arena here. And so we all kind of like knew, all right, blue and green was going to be the things that we worked on when it came to colors because you know those are colors you associate with Earth. We're not going to throw a red in there unless he was trying to be disruptive, you know, uh, and, that, and that's not his intention. So that's really what we look at um, when it comes to that. Uh, you know, there's certainly emotions attached to color palettes, you know, and we were considerate of it. But uh, as long as it's intentional and, and, it's, and it was planned, then we're golden. That's, that's really the most important thing. You, you brought up a term there that I love, and it's disrupt, being disruptive to an industry. When I'm trying to come up with my graphic representation and my graphic approach to my business, how critical is it that I follow the norm and follow the standards? Because so many times you hear, well, if you see it done this way, do it the opposite so that you can stand out. That's that's a huge, huge risk in my personal opinion. What do you think about that? Yeah, it is a risk. And I'll tell you what we look for when we are 
uh, working on optimizing product imagery for Amazon, right? Um, we have a few qualities that we want to identify. So one of them is your unique selling proposition, right? So that's how you're disruptive. Uh, but another one of those things is what do people expect? Like when people are coming to you, what, what things do they expect to see there when they show up? And I think that it's important that even if you are a disruptive brand, right, you do things differently. You have a, maybe you use the F word right in your uh, hero image on your website, you know, and, and that's the kind of brand you want to be. That's cool. But you should also, de you know, demonstrate the things that people are expecting when they show up. If you're a marketing service then talk about the things that, that they're looking for, if you're a bakery, you know, um, help people understand your products and, and you know what I mean? Like basically show them what they expect and then be disruptive on top of that. Um, otherwise there's a disconnect and you break that trust and you break that confidence. I think that's so easy to do. And I know I've done it on multiple occasions while trying to build various brands up over the years. You know, I think, man, I'm just going to be a rebel. I'm going to do it Larry's way and it's going to work because it's going to stand out. And then it falls flat on its face. So <laughs> I want to yeah. help people make that, not make that same mistake going forward in their business. Yeah. Be, be disruptive all day long, but don't be confusing. That's what people don't like that. Oh, maybe that's the kicker. I think everything was too much of an inside joke with me. You know, I thought it was hilarious and I just knew everybody else was going to think it was hilarious too, but they didn't seem to get the joke. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it happens all the time. It happens all the time. Well, Ian, man, hey, this has been an awesome conversation with a lot of insight as far as how graphics can impact us and building our business and our perception to our ideal clients. And if we have a podcast or ideal listeners or whoever it is that we're trying to reach. If those listening want to learn more about you and Graphic Rhythm, where can they go to find that? Uh, they should head to www.graphicrhythm.com. And the website is updated and it looks really sleek and smooth now, right? It does, yes. Guaranteed. <laughs> <laughs> cool deal. Ian, man, I appreciate everything. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, uh, hopefully we'll talk again soon. All right. Thanks for having me.